Well, that's that's not good. <laughs> Gotta leave that in there. <laughs> welcome to welcome to dropping south. I'm here with my good friend Randy Purcell. Randy, thanks for being here, man. Uh, proud to be on it, man. I appreciate you doing these uh, conversations. It's yeah, it's been fun for uh, me to listen to in the studio, and I like that it's not a the typical interview type podcast. It's yeah, just getting to know somebody and having a conversation. It's like having coffee, like we used to do, you know. Yeah, thanks for saying that. A few people have have said that they are listening in the studio which is to me like kind of the highest honor it's like as for an artist yeah. like that's where you're that's where you're you're making your work and you're going to mm-hmm. bring bring others in and 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 I think for me it's a, just a testament to like you know the quality of your work the quality of Marlos's work the quality of Jody's work is that people are going yeah I want to listen to this person I want to I want to listen to this while I'm making work is that because I think that what Sisyphon's doing or Mawish um, or you know what Ray's doing you know all of those uh, Hamlet's up to so um, but I do appreciate it I think it's it's um, it is really cool Um, I've had a few people I I make the joke often it's like they're you know don't worry about it there's only like eight people listening but the eight people (laughs) who are listening are pretty big pretty awesome people who are serious (laughs) about their work so um so you and you and I met in a in a really curious way the shorthand even though I don't know how to do shorthand but like I was teaching an art appreciation class at night in the Palmer Plaza building in downtown Nashville which is for years like way back in Nashville is the swank kind of oval shaped building there's actually a a track on the top of that building so like an oval oval running track it's right next to the Arby's and I was teaching from Bethel University in this like boardroom and your sister was in the class and she, for her final project, um, they had the opportunity to do Byzantine art, a history of Byzantine art or um, a history of like Islam and Christian art in a comparison or a topic with per- per- permission from the professor. And I taught for Bethel for three or four years, and I never heard the Byzantine talk or the (laughs) Christianity versus Islam talk, because I would, at the beginning of class, say, you're welcome to do those, and I'm sure they would be great. But you can also spend this five weeks, because it was a five-week course, investigating something you've always been interested, like movies and, you know, all these different things. And so I got the greatest you know, these two brothers were in there and they, they both did a collaborative one. They were taking the class mm-hmm. together about Pink Floyd and the oh, history gosh. of the visual connections between Pink Floyd. And they loved it. They had so much fun. But your sister kind of comes to me yeah. kind of hat in hand, like, hey, this is probably a cop out. And I'm just being lazy because I got a million <laughs> other things going on because I'm working. Almost everyone was there was working full time jobs. I mean, they're taking right. classes at night. Yeah, Uh, it was a it was one of it was Bethel realizing there was this market for people who were, you know, probably 30 and above who were already working, whose businesses had Mm -hmm. 
um, something set up to help pay for college to, for people to level right. up. So they really like worked with, and it was an ingenious plan because right. <clears throat> all these people wanted to get this degree and, and they they had their jobs that would pay for it. So anyway, all, you know, she's like, look, I'm busy. And, you know, my brother's a professional artist and, but that's probably not something. And she was just like trying, like, just kind of ready to just be like, oh, I was just kidding, you know? And, I, and she's yeah. like, so you, I probably couldn't do that. And I'm like, so you're telling me, Marianne, that you want to bring a professional artist into my classroom um, to talk to people and that you're going to have to, at some point, trade a favor back to this professional artist who's your brother. And you're telling me you're willing to use that capital to benefit all the other people in my classroom and have an experience that will likely be one of the more memorable ones because many of them in getting to know them over these five weeks have not had a ton of experiences with art. And so you're saying that you don't think it's a good idea to bring this person in who would radically change people's perception of what art could be. And she's like, well, I guess if you say it like that, like, can I do that? And I'm like, of course you can do that. So you came in, you had business cards, you handed people, it was so much fun. There was 30 people, it's the biggest class I'd ever yeah. taught. And you'd handed stuff out. So, and then from there, we just clicked and have just stayed in touch and- Yeah, you did that blog. You came by my studio with, with Wendy. Right, I was trying was, to- yeah, I was mimicking uh, what Hamlet Dobbins used to do with with studio visits. He's a, I mean, I know a lot of people did that, but he's the first person I'd seen that would go and do studio visits. And um, OK. And so, yeah, so we had set that up. Wendy and I came over and and that's when Wendy was really starting to get into encaustic work as well. Mm -hmm. And then we've had other experiences and now we're on the board of number. And then we did the NFL green. We've suddenly yeah, yeah. <laughs> looked back and we've got this like pretty There's fun history of like all these experiences of and then also just following people's work and then you being in the show here at the Lola Gallery the fight or flight show but um mm -hmm. so that's kind of our short history of how okay. we've gotten to know each other um you <clears throat> were just talking before and I cut you off because I really wanted to um to hear it kind of the first time on the podcast is having a little bit of a change in your brain in relationship to coming into the studio. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before the pandemic, you know, as an artist, you, you, you're constantly creating towards this next event, either be an exhibit or an opportunity to talk in front of somebody. And I, and I tried to continue like things were going to get back to normal soon last year. And I kept getting things canceled. I, I don't, I don't even know how many exhibits that were canceled. I mean, it wasn't like 20 or nothing, but you know, some of the things that I usually do was what I was making inventory for. And, and the more I thought about the way I've been creating for over the years, it, it was just that I was creating inventory for an event and I wasn't really getting lost in the process. And, you know, you have all this time on your hands, you're stuck at home. I rarely get out. So, I, and I know it came from listening to podcasts or reading books. I started rethinking how I would approach the studio time I had because I, you know, it's abundant. And so I started coming into the studio with this different expectation of creating 
more from the heart, you know, things that if I want to come in the studio today and I'm going to make collage, I'm going to make collage. There's, you know, occasionally you get commissions and you come in and I have to knock out, you know, a painting specific for somebody else. And even that has changed because now I turned down work that I don't want to do before it was like, yeah, I'll do that commission. Here's how much it's going to cost. Let's look at some images and discuss, you know, how it's going to look. And there were some things like that, that I really didn't want to do, but, you know, because it was somebody I really knew and I wanted to do something for them, I would take it anyhow, or because I wanted to, you know, make something that made me some money, I would take the job. So now it's, if somebody wants me to paint something for them, I, I, I'm quicker to say, let me think about it. Cause sometimes your first response is not the best response. So now I'd let my, I allow myself a little time to think about it. And then after I've pondered over it, if I don't feel this excitement or this, uh, this challenge, I guess you could say, then I don't want to do it. And I'll just flat out tell them that. And, and sometimes I can refer them to another artist that would probably fit the bill better. Um, uh, that that happens, you know, where I'm like, man, I, that, I'm not really that type of artist, but I know somebody that would kill it and would love to do it for you. So, you know, that's always a good place to be. But now, yeah, I come into the studio and I've, I've got a lot of stuff. I'm going to be this, I, if Tracy's already said that if something ever happened to me, um, she would be contacting all my artist friends and say, come over here and just take whatever you want because I've got a lot of junk. <laughs> she said, then after my artist friends got what they wanted, she would take the rest and to the dump probably because most of it is junk. Uh, but I collect things and, you know, it, it, I mean, it could be simple as a piece of cardboard from something else I was working on um, or just some interesting packing from a box that I've got art supplies in. Um, and by collecting all these things, I keep some of it close to me in my studio just because I think I'm going to use that here soon. And so it, it's got a special space in a box or somewhere close to me. I keep some artwork around me, of course, as you can see behind me. Some of it's mine, some of it's my friends. And then so when I come into the studio, I get lost in all this stuff around me. And I feel my artwork, my studio, it reflects the way my brain kind of works it's everywhere I can't I haven't figured a way to to hone in on one thing for very long and I'm still working on ways to control that um, but I come in I get lost in the things around me and I just pick something up whether it be collage I've been working with these oil sticks here lately it's been fun um, assemblage stuff I haven't done a anything major with that just because I don't it's too cold to go out in the garage but I just yeah I've been playing around with different things and sometimes I just pick up a, a panel that's got wax on it and I think it's something cool I want to paint on I've, I've been doing a lot more abstract stuff um, when I when I do drawings whether it be colored pencil ink or just pencil um, I'm just kind of letting it flow I'm not trying to complete any specific piece of art. Randy, talk a little bit about <clears throat> the, your painting process. So there's these, 
you know, this idea of painting in the expanded field or drawing in the expanded field, meaning that, you know, like painting isn't just oil on canvas, right? And I feel like you're mm-hmm. as good an example of that as anybody I know in that you consider your process painting. Yeah. When I say that, when I say your, your process, I mean, the process yeah. that you invented that a lot of people know you about, the process when, that you just referenced when there's a panel of wax. So talk a little bit about right. that. And, and also talk to me about why it's painting. Yeah, that, that, that's, I've been questions about the painting, calling it a painting thing by a few friend artists. They're like, it's not a painting. Why do you call it a painting? But, you know, technically it, it, technically it is because I'm putting color down on a, a surface. So my, my process involves putting beeswax on a piece of plywood. Usually it's birch. Sometimes it's just found plywood or wood in general. Uh, sometimes it's treated with milk paint or chalk paint. Sometimes it's just raw wood. But this thin layer of beeswax is melted in a crock pot and brushed on. And I smooth it with a scraper. And then I transfer the ink from recycled magazine pages on top of the beeswax. Uh, Now, the process has evolved over the years. Early on, I would do these drawings on on one table. And then I'd have my panel with wax on this panel. And I would do this drawing and I'd cut it. And I would cut the magazine in the same shape. Then I'd move over to the beeswax panel and I'd place it in the spot where I thought it would fit. (laughs) And I'd go back and forth and there was there was nothing to keep me on track. So when I was doing a piece of architecture or whatever, as I got further away from where I started, things got a little wonky. And it was actually kind of cool. And I've thought about going back to that, but over time, I realized I could just put the drawing on top of the paper, the, the beeswax, cut a piece out and go over here and cut the magazine and, and replace it with the magazine. And slowly that drawing would turn into just this, all this collaged magazine paper. And that worked well. I started getting, you know, better details in my drawings. But I got to the point where I was like, man, I'm spending all this time doing these drawings <laughs> and then I'm just cutting them up and they're going in the trash. So I thought, I wonder if I could just take a photograph and print it large and just cut it up because I was drawing from my photos anyhow, just doing the grid format, you know, drawing it out. And so I went to uh, Staples at the time and they would print my photos uh, on larger scale on this engineering paper, which is just basically white paper like you buy for your printer at home. And it's just black and white. They cost anywhere from, you know, five bucks to 20 bucks to print. And I would, again, just lay it on top of the beeswax after it's been smooth. And I would take my X-Acto and cut those shapes out of that subject and just go back and forth to the magazine paper until the whole panel was covered in magazine paper. Um, And of course, over time, my my technique with the X-Acto knife got a lot tighter. So when I would cut shapes, they would fit into place perfectly or at least really close. I think that's one thing that people are amazed at. It's sometimes how close the detail is to a photo because I'm just cutting up a photo. It's, it's a template for me. Uh, so, yeah, that after the, 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 the magazine paper, the, the ink color I want to transfer, of course, is face down on the beeswax. I burnish it with a block. I sand it a little bit. 
so it absorbs water. I spray it with a water bottle, and then I just rub the paper off. The ink is stuck to the beeswax. I remove the paper, and then I take a heat gun and I fuse the ink into the beeswax, which is where the encaustic name comes from, to burn in. And I, if you wanted to get technical, a lot of encaustic painters wouldn't consider my process encaustic because I don't use DeMar resin with my beeswax. I use pure beeswax from a beekeeper. I did it early on using caustic medium, uh, but I found that using pure beeswax, I got a better transfer. And then uh, I'm using a really thin layer of beeswax. I mean, it's, I, I, if, you, if you take a paintbrush out of the, in the, in the melted wax in a crock pot, I brush three strokes deep. And then I take a scraper and I probably scrape off half of that. So maybe a 32nd of an inch. Yes, maybe. And in, in some areas may be a little thicker. I mean, I'm, I never get the panel perfectly smooth. Um, but I found that the thicker the wax, the I don't like that thickness unless it, I, if I want to do it intentionally as part of the process. Right. There was a couple when I was painting bees where I would intentionally leave it thicker at the bottom. So after I would paint the bee or transfer the, the ink <laughs> on the beeswax in the shape of the bee, I would take the heat gun and purposely melt that beeswax that was thicker so it would get this cool drip underneath it. Um, so occasionally I try to use that as part of the process, as part of the, the aesthetic of the painting when it's completed. So, but most of the time it's, yeah, super thin do the transfer, and then heat it with the heat gun. And then I treat it with uh, Kamar resin, which is a spray, or I've been playing around with these other um, uh, varnishes I've found on Jerry's. I've, I've got like five or six I'm trying right now that, because the spray, you have to have certain temperatures, you have to have ventilation. And during the winter time in Tennessee, you know, if I finish a painting and it's for something and it's cold, I can't spray it in my house. I'm going to have to find other ways of doing that. So I've been playing with ways of treating my paintings afterwards that have a, no toxicity, something I can brush on. And that's just as durable as Kumar. It's, and the main reason is for UV lighting and to even the sheen out. Uh, the, the magazine ink that I transfer, sometimes the the ink will transfer and it'll have a glossy sheen to it. And sometimes it'll be flat. So when you're mixing in all these different colors or different types of magazine ink, they will have a different sheen to them. So it, it looks more uniform after it's been varnished. And sometimes I can't get rid of that difference. It's so fascinating to me that there are people, everything you just said is what all the painters I know do right? You're worried about the surface, you're prepping the surface, you're worrying about how yeah. the thing's transferring, <laughs> and then you're worried about how you're treating it afterwards so that it lasts yeah. for as long as possible. Right. Sounds like painting, but it's interesting, this idea of, as a, as a painter, you know, like this being on trial from other, other painters saying, you're not a painter, and it's like, <laughs> and, and the, I think the thing that's so wild about that is, what is it about what is it about the art world that attracted them that's so specific to rules that they want to like rule again? You know what I mean? It's just like, I right. love the art world because there are no rules. Exactly. You know, like, yes. I love it that 
you can do whatever you want. It is interesting, though, the gatekeeper folks who just go like, Randy's not really made. And there's just, it's like it's just bugging them in their brain a little bit. It's like <laughs> if you were just like in caustic collage, they'd be like, yeah, that's that's more like it. That, there you go. And yeah. it's like and the idea that you want to call it painting because you feel like you're making paintings bugs some people, whereas there are a lot of university positions open right now. I don't know what's going on in the pandemic, if it pushed some mm -hmm. older folks out, if it, you know, but there's a lot of positions and every painting position that's available talks about the word expanded field. And they talk about yeah. having this really wide range. Um, I applied for New American Paintings this year, which I typically don't do after years and years and years and years of applying and spending, you know, the $30 and never getting in. I had kind yeah, of just yeah. given up on on uh, on that particular idea of saying like, well, I can spend $30. I'd rather get a magazine subscription or donate yeah, it to yeah. someone. But this year, I um, Joe Nolan said something on my Instagram page and I was like, damn it, Joe. Now I feel like I, <laughs> like, I if you think it. these are good enough. Like, I trust <laughs> you. Like, okay. But in yeah. the juror's statement, she said, I have a very broad understanding of what painting can mean. And so I think it's really interesting at these levels of university positions, magazines, that the, the definition is very broad. Mm -hmm. So, and then amongst some of our own peers, definitions get real narrow. And it's just like, what is that yeah. about? Like, why, why do you care that much? Like this person, who's doing this and curating like these major shows at these the museums thinks painting can be anything like why wouldn't right. you want that definition because if it can be anything that means me and you can be in there exactly if it only means this then the field is narrowed and you have fewer chances so i i submitted so that was really helpful for me because i went and looked at that and i'm mm -hmm. thinking what do i what do i have ready what do i think is what do i because the thing that Joe commented on, the, those paintings aren't done. And mm -hmm. even in the state they were, I just didn't feel comfortable because I, I couldn't have left them that way. And if I yeah. then magically somehow did get into New American paintings, then the paintings wouldn't exist. Then I can't trade on them. I yeah. can't sell them or get into a, a, a new gallery situation or build a new relationship because the person who liked them, it's like, oh, yeah, I painted over that stuff that you thought yeah. was good I didn't <laughs> it's gone so I was looking at what what was done and it was those skateboard pieces that I've been making where I'm taking old skateboards that I got from Sixth Avenue Skate Shop and I'm cutting into shapes and then hovering them oh yes the I love those shapes yeah and I'm like all right these are paintings yeah in her definition it's got paint there are marks I didn't make them <laughs> right but I did cut out the shapes I'm dealing with the composition I'm creating the shadows and I loved right. that permission to say these are paintings that I have made collaborative yeah. for sure with whoever skated the board before me whoever designed mm -hmm. the boards before that but these are this person's going to see these and not go how why would he even put this in here this is not this is sculpture like, why would he, what is, what does he think I'm judging here? Like that person's going to go, oh, okay. I like these or I don't like these, but they're not going to go. These aren't paintings, dumb, dumb. Right. And I love that idea of 
not getting caught into it. Now, I was also really lucky because I studied with Greeley Maya in the sculpture department at University of Memphis. And I had a choice whether to go into painting or sculpture for my application. I'm not saying that they would have accepted me in the painting department, but I could have submitted for that. But I went and visited and looked at all the departments and I picked sculpture because while I was there in that building at the time, it was like your studio. There was like yeah. some of this going on, some of this going on, some of this going on. And I was like, oh, these, this is, this is the, this is where I want to be. I want to be in a space where I can do yeah. whatever Anything. I want to do. And we'll call it sculpture if we need to, for it to make sense to whoever, but I'm going to be able to make anything. And I did get to do whatever I wanted in that department, which was, I mean, I took most of my, most of my independent studies were from Beth Edwards, who was a hyper-realistic oil painter wow. at um, University of Memphis. And we talked about paintings that I was mm -hmm. making in the sculpture department. Yeah. And, awesome. and there was some of that talk there of why are you making so many paintings? And I was like, like, do you all not understand what the, what we're getting into here, right? Like, we're trying to arm ourselves with the ability to make art forever. Mm -hmm. And you want to talk about what mine is or isn't? Because yeah. when we get outside of these walls, people are either going to not care or care. And that's it. Yeah. And so, anyway, I just think that that's, that's, a, that's an interesting mm -hmm. thing that you find yourself in that yeah. conversation of when... Um, how did you first figure that out, like in caustic? How were you introduced to that medium? Sissavon, how uh, through MTSU during a I don't know I think it's painting three or four class. We had a, a semester where we tried all these different painting mediums, and she and yeah she introduced us, did a quick demonstration of the different ways techniques of using encaustic as a medium for painting and. When she got to the transfer thing, there was something that just clicked in my brain. I'm like, man, that's cool. And at the time I was working on, I was really drawn in. And of course, it's funny how everything has changed over the years. You know, this was what, 12, 13, yeah, 12 years ago, maybe, maybe 13. Um, I was really into this because of my childhood growing up on this little farm. Uh, I was drawn to barns, you know, and just, just the idea of how you see them now and they're most of them are in decay they're falling they're leaving us and I had been taking a ton of pictures and I wanted to somehow bring that into my artwork and I've been painting them in in these surreal scenes as you know a, kind of a background of the subject that I was painting but when she showed that transfer process I've got all these photos I'm like I wonder if I can transfer these barn images on beeswax this would be really cool well i found out you can transfer an image but most have only done it in black and white and but magazine ink would transfer i'm like okay that's cool so where where it started was i i did a project we had to do something 50 times so the the idea was you did you create a painting and it had to have an element repeated 50 times. So I did, the, I had some barn wood and I cut little shapes of barns anywhere from, you know, two inches big to 
six or seven inches big. And I coated the front of the barn wood with beeswax. And they were all different shapes of barns. I went through my photos and cool, interesting shapes of these barns. I just, yeah, I mimicked those. Coated the wood with beeswax. And then I would, there's a, a Farm Bureau magazine that comes out, you know, me and Tracy get. And I found out the ink and it transferred. Of course, it was all farm related stuff. So I would take and cut out the things that were interesting to me. You know, maybe it was a row of corn, it was a tractor, it was a horse, whatever. And I transferred it on all 50 pieces. And I still have a couple of those pieces somewhere around here. Just I've, I've kept some just for myself because that's how it started. Um, and that, it first it looked really cool in my eyes, but I also got a lot of great feedback from those that got to see it there at MTSU when we had it on display in the hallways. And then later I, I got to show it at Cummins Station. MTSU would do a show every year where they would invite, you know, certain artists to display their Cummins and they do a reception. And I think I took 25 of the 50 to that, you know, and I, and I would sell them individually for, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 bucks. So it was really cool to first have people want to buy those little things. Um, but that's that's where it started, and it was two or three years later before I revisited the process and started playing with it again. Um, and I, it started out same thing; it was small scale, nothing was really big, and I was basically just transferring the shapes of things in magazines. But I wanted to do my own paintings, and I'm like, how can I do one of my barns on like a 16 by 20 or something like that? And so I started playing with the shape of a heart. I was like, okay, I don't have a red in this magazine that's big enough to do a whole heart, but I could break the heart down into four, four individual pieces and transfer that. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So if I can do that on a heart, I could do it on. And I started doing still life, apples, pears, bananas, you know, just things that, you know, around the house. And I thought, what am I doing? I, if I can do this on a small scale, why can't I just go larger and take one of my photos or a drawing and do the same thing? Just piece it together. I'll just have to do more pieces to do a, full, a bigger painting. And the, the first series I did was I titled it Looking Up. I went to Chicago. It was the first time I'd been to a large city. You know, Nashville didn't really count as a big city, especially years ago. Um, but Chicago just I was in awe I, I walked around Tracy had a, a conference there and I, I went to you know the Institute of Art and a couple art museums but walking around the city itself and I, I just remember all my photos coming back were me looking up at this architecture and I was just amazed at you know that how old it was how intricate of details it had in it and so that first series I did in this painting process was from photos I took in Chicago and I had I don't know 10 or 12 paintings of different architectural pieces anywhere from six I'd say 16 by 20 was the most the the most paintings I did of a, a, a particular size then I did a couple that were larger um, and that was back when I was I would do a grid drawing and I'd draw out the building and like I said, they was all from the view looking up 
and I was using, I, I wasn't, I didn't know you could just paint directly on wood with beeswax and then it would work. I thought you had to treat it with something first. So I found out instead of buying the, the expensive and caustic gesso, I could use milk paint. Um, I don't remember. Oh, I think it was, um, it was the, one of the professors at MTSU that taught me that she was the uh, art history teacher, Nancy. Yeah. She said something about milk paint in one of the classes and I was like, Oh, that'd be, a, it's got, you know, this absorbent quality to it, I could use that. So I'd mix milk paint, put that on the panel first. So all my earlier paintings had this blue whitish, I had to mix it with white, but I was wanting that sky color anyhow, because at the time I was leaving the panel exposed where I didn't have a transfer. So yeah, I had all these buildings, that, that milk, milk paint, blue and white background. Um, and it turned out to be a a pretty cool body of work. I mean, I didn't sell, I don't even know if I sold any of those. I think I still have them all. But when I go back and look at them now, I'm like, these are pretty badass. I've got one in my uh, dining room right now. It was the Brooklyn Bridge. And I went to arounder.com. You can take a camera, just about any touristy place in the world, and you have control of it on your monitor to move the camera around. So I went to the Brooklyn Bridge and I, I played with the camera and I was still on this thing of looking up. So I took the camera and I went straight up. And so it's a view from the Brooklyn Bridge from down below looking straight up at it. And it's a triptych and it's huge. It's like 44 by 48, you know, it's, it's a big painting, but it's one of my favorites. And I did this, that same size in a triptych of uh, this big uh, Ferris wheel. And, mm -hmm. and all my paintings back then, they didn't have a lot of color in them the, because I was transferring on top of the beeswax with the, that milk paint blue background. Mm -hmm. The color got subdued. And that's another thing over the years I've learned is how to, if I want color to pop more, if I want some, you know, a yellow to be a bright yellow, then I have to make sure that the, the plywood below is a good light color or I, I paint the surface a white of some sort. Right. Um, and I occasionally I'll do that. I don't, I really like the, the birch plywood with the beeswax and then the transfer it's light enough for the colors pop. But I, it, the thing I love most about the process is the patina that my paintings have. They, they have this, even it, even though it's a new painting, it, it looks like it's been around for 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, other than the slick surface I put on it with the varnish. Yeah, I did. I grabbed a couple of my old Thrasher magazines and mm -hmm. did some That's transfers right. did and yeah. they look ancient. Yeah, it's so it's cool. The, it's it, a mixture of a magazine from 1989 or 91. So that mm -hmm. the, you were surprised that the color still yes. transferred in and it, it made my brain explode and there will be a time <laughs> in my life knowing that process of revisit that it yeah. exists and I'll have to sit down and figure out the, the mm -hmm. beeswax and, and all and the patience of prepping those blocks and doing all of those things. But I got, I got responses back from like heroic <laughs> mythic prose on my Instagram feed. Cause I would tag them and awesome. be like, Hey, yeah. And then there are people, what's, what's funny about it is if you're a skater, you know, you identify 
as a skater and then you identify there's a subset inside of that is are you goofy foot or regular foot meaning do you right. push with your left, left foot or right. forward or your right foot yeah. forward and there are skaters who are unfooted they can yeah. do whatever but almost all of them at least started as goofy or regular before they became yeah. you know um so that that one picture is he's I can't remember if it someone commented, but it, it reverses it, right? So yeah, it's this person right. who's famous. So your brain goes, I think yeah. that's so-and-so. But most people kind of look at that and they know who is, they know who's goofy and regular. Because then you identify yeah. as a kid when you're skating, you can identify with someone's style. But then on top of that, if they are regular footed and you're regular footed or you're goofy footed, like I'm my, I'm goofy footed, my son's goofy footed. So we, we skate with our right foot forward. Okay. And so, yeah, you know, so Tony Hawk's goofy footed, you know, like, and so like you, it makes you, it can, it can make you identify with people. Who, right. you know, I also identify with people who are regular footed, you know, but, yeah. but it's, but it's an interesting thing, the way that image played around with that. Randy, probably as much as anyone I know, or certainly in conversation with anyone I know, you have done a lot of the heavy lifting to, to be a business, right? Like you're making work, but you're also, you're, you know, you've talked about it several times already, very naturally, just this idea of I didn't sell these things. And I know that that's not the only reason you're making the work. But it is part of what you want to do. You want these things to hang in people's homes or offices or studios or them to buy them for gifts for other people. Mm -hmm. Did you arrive at that? I guess my question is, how good have you been at like keeping track with with your collectors? So when you were selling those things for 15 and $20 at Cumming Station, do you know of any, who any of those people were? Did you, did you, because now I know if you were selling stuff there, you would have an email address attached. You would send them a newsletter or <laughs> a blog post. When did you start getting, when did it, how long did it take you to get better at that? Uh, I'm still not good at it, Mike. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't do a newsletter. I heard you talking to somebody on one of your podcasts about needing to do a newsletter. Like, yeah, I, you when know, the I've only got, thing I'm I saying do, that I've got 10 fingers and 10, I don't do a newsletter either. I just know yeah. that when Marcus Whitney puts, puts a newsletter out, when Gary mm-hmm. Vaynerchuk, when those dudes are putting newsletters out, yeah, it's not because do. they want to be, <laughs> it's not, they don't sit around and go like, I want to be um, anachronistic and just do something that's old fashioned. They're doing it because it works. Mm-hmm. And exactly. so that's, that's where in my brain, I'm like, oh, okay, I, I, that, I should probably do a newsletter. Well, I, yeah, and I, I get a bunch of newsletters from different, you know, from authors, from people that do podcasts, from artists. I mean, I, I subscribe to a bunch and you would think that I need to do one. So what I've been doing to practice to get ready to do a newsletter, and I, and I have the ability on my website where people can sign up for one. Nobody ever signs up for them. Um, but what I do instead is I try to get on my website at least once a month. Randy, do you, <laughs> remember, do you remember where we were? Um, oh, you was talking to me about the newsletter, the business side of things, how to oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. keep it in touch with collectors. And, and I was telling you how 
I've really not done a great job of that. I think one of the things I would blame it on is doing these events like Art Eclectic and the Harding Art Show, things like that. You don't, you get to talk to people, they buy your artwork. Um, and I didn't do a good job over the years of collecting names at those shows. I do have a couple that I keep in touch with, um, but it's not like Harding and Art Eclectic are sending you their list of, you know, patrons that come to those events. No, no. <laughs> people, so, are not, people are not sharing email lists. I have, that's no, a, that's been not. a really interesting and hard lesson to learn about that. Yeah. I, I guess I, the thing that's interesting to me is I, that perception of you don't think you did a very good job. And I think you did a very good job. I think that's an interesting thing because I know that you do sell work. I know that you do get into exhibits. I know that you do those things. So do you think that it's just you're more critical of yourself in that arena, whereas I'm on the outside looking in at every time I've ever seen you, you're handing out a business card and or a three, a four by six postcard and that I've met you in a time when you're doing better at it. Is that, is that part of it? Is that you're like, you're getting yeah. better and where you, you are doing those things now. So I've met you in the last five years. No, that's not true. It's like I mentioned, yeah, probably 2013, somewhere yeah, around yeah. there. So, um, but when I met you, the first thing you did was you handed out these cards yeah. to all of these people that had your email address on it, that you could find your website. And I also know that we've the number of coffee conversation that, that you and I have hosted there. One time somebody was on and I asked her what she was doing and she was joining us from Santa Fe. Bay, New Mexico, and had followed oh, yeah. you on YouTube. So you can yeah. say all you want about that you're not doing a very good job. Well, I just know yeah. the evidence I see is you at least trying to build that into part of your studio practice is there is this sense of I also want to make sure people are aware of who I am, what I'm doing, yeah. what I and, and it seems like just like your studio practice has evolved. You know, you used to put the milk paint. Well, then you found that the color wasn't there. You're now understanding these other parts of like, hey, well, now that I'm here, yeah, I should be doing this. And I know what you're saying because that event we did at NFL, the, the NFL project. Green Project, yeah. Yeah. we didn't have we didn't have a sign up sheet for people to put names no, on there. <laughs> and if we would have put it, and if we would have had it there, you know, yeah. what if we would have gotten twelve people? That's huge of people mm. saying. To, to our uh, defense, we also did not know that we were running the NFL Greens booth yeah. by ourselves. Right. Yeah, that was, that's not that was what a little we, overwhelming. That's not what we had signed up You're right. to do. Yeah. I learned an incredible amount about like you getting to work with you, but also just you and I having to say, oh, Let's get started. Let's let's do yeah. this thing. And okay, yeah. like nobody's nobody's dropped off the material that we were supposed to get. Randy, you go find someone, or Mike, you go find someone. And so, yeah. in those moments where you are just trying to survive, <laughs> and what's interesting to me about that too is, why did we go into survival mode so much? Like we could, we should have, and could have That's been right. like, hey, we need an hour break we're 
closing this tent and we're going to walk away and go find the stuff we need to find. But yeah. we just felt such a sense of like, well, we owned it. Well, but also like, we're the ones that people are going to be pointing at saying like, you didn't do it right. Yeah. At least that's well, how we, yeah. that's how we, yeah. we, we take ownership. It, so. I mean, we're, I think that's one reason we both get along so well is we, we both know we're, we're willing to put in the work. And no we matter said, what the project. And we had said yes that we were going to do it. And so we were there and, you know, I was there with my father, Ryan Polo on, and I was representing yes. my school and um, had gotten the day off and talked, had a conversation with my bosses about, you know, I wasn't just skipping school. Right. You know, I didn't just take a sick day and not tell anyone anything. It was, I was there to be Mike Wendy, but also like Mike Mitchell, art teacher at father Ryan. And so, yes. um, so that's it. That, that to me, that makes sense. In, in, yeah. in relationship to your personality is though I see it as this um, pretty solid approach you're still looking at the holes and going I need to do this and I, I need to do a better job at this and yeah. I wish I would have you know because I've done that too where I've sold work and I'm like man I wish I just had a phone I just would like to get people to like just call them up and be like hey can you do me a favor and post that on Instagram oh and tag I know me. yes yes <laughs> there's yeah that's where I like uh, this connection with the past uh, of people that's bought for me. I don't, I don't keep in touch. I do stay connected though with, and I feel like I do a decent job of kind of sharing things on Instagram in my blog, just to keep people that are interested up to date. So it's not like they're going to search my name and it's crickets. You know, they can't find anything about what's going on with me at any point. Anybody that owns one of my pieces of work can, you get online and they can find out right. where I'm at and they can get me easily. They all have my phone number. They all have my email. So yeah. Yeah. Handing out business cards has kind of gotten to the point where you, you don't really do that anymore. Um, but you know, if I, if I like when I did the community art project at the beginning of the pandemic, just to stay connected with a new audience, I would send out the, the wax, little panels with all the stuff in it, but also put a business card and one of those old show cards from art fields, just because I had a bunch of them. I was like, man, this is a cool little, you know, four by six. It's got a piece of my artwork on it. It's got information about me. It shows that I'm a serious artist. I've done something, you know, it's kind of a big deal being a part of art fields. It's a, it's a, a nationwide, or I guess it's a more of a Southeastern, uh, call for arts but I think anybody can then no it's 11 states so I do, okay. yeah it's 11 states you have to be in one of the 11 southern southeastern states to to apply but it still is a is a cool show to be a part of uh, well it's a it's a regional thing that has an international footprint there you go right? like it gets yes. pushed out to I mean right. it is you know there are people from because of the inside of those 11 states the university imprint yeah. that's there and the the professors in there it has mm -hmm. much more of an international feel than yes than it probably um than people might expect because i know that i was recently looking on i saw something recently on a university site and they were really pushing out that this professor had been included in art fields yes Sissa Vaughn out and she's she's been mm -hmm. a part of it a couple of times. Yeah. She may have been where I found out about it. I'm pretty sure yeah. she is. 
she seems to be such an incredible kind of foundational experience for so many good artists that I know. She's she's uh, she's a good role model for any artist to to share what you know, uh, whether it be calls for art or techniques, anything about running your business as an artist. She we still communicate pretty well. We're we're good friends. I mean, not not that long ago, me and her was talking about another artist and she was interviewing him just because he was is you know he's like this at this next level and talking about doing public art and things like that so she was kind enough to reach out to me and she would send me the notes she got from their conversation oh wow I I learned all this cool stuff about this you know well-known artist from Atlanta and how he handled his art business through her you know, it's like, and, and how long, what, what's the gap between you getting that information and the last time you were in her classroom? Oh, was it, uh, 2009. So yeah, 12, 12 years almost. Yeah. 12 years. It's just my favorite thing about art teachers. Yeah. They don't. Uh-huh. And I told my students, um, at Father Ryan at Maplewood at Neely's Ben Elementary School at Flagler College at University of, um, Memphis when I was uh, an undergrad when I was in grad school like Austin P anywhere I've ever been it's like you like this is forever yeah right it's gonna there's there's gonna be some impetus on you uh, to to reach out but but our our semester ends at this time but I'm always your teacher your advocate your ally if you if you so choose and Mm -hmm. Uh, Sisyphon seems like she does an extremely good job at making sure that she does that and that and that yeah. she feels a responsibility to do that that's not about MTSU having that expectation of her it's about right. her and the experience she had with her professors and mentors mm-hmm. and then she realizes okay I'm in this spot now and yeah. even though I'm new to this spot I'm going to start doing this, which I, I just think is so cool. You'd mentioned Jerry's Artorama. This oh, is, yeah. to be clear, this, this episode is not brought to you by Jerry's Artorama, but how excited are future. you? How excited are you about them reopening? Cause I'm pretty excited. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Especially now that I've been playing around with different mediums in the studio. So now, of course, during the pandemic, I just been in the tornado, of course, took their store out I just ordered things online, mm-hmm. but I want to be able to go into this space. Man, everyone's so everyone's so yes. nice there, and Amanda's great, yes. and it, super it's, helpful. They just you can chat with the person who's selling you the stuff is likely a, a better artist than you are. <laughs> you know, like when you're or they're <laughs> no. you know or they're or they're investigating they know you know. It. It's like they're and they're they'll ask, what are you up to? You know, and, yeah. and you're like, oh, well, I'm they, making they this, and, and, it's, and it's like, what are you up to? And they're like, oh, well, I've been doing this, and uh, or they'll apologize and say, oh, I've I've only been doing this, and I'm like, yeah, but you're working full time. Like, it's okay. Like, we're all the idea yeah. is that you're you're still making work too, and and that they know, you know, they can say, I I don't think that's gonna work the way you think it's gonna work. You yeah. might want to try this. And they're not upselling you. Nope. 
that's not, yeah, that's not their thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's possible that the thing they're selling you to buy is going to be more expensive, but mm -hmm. that's not why they're talking to you. They're just in their own experience or they'll call yes. someone over. Hey, he was telling me like, Hey, yeah. tell him what you were telling me about this thing. Cause he's buying, mm -hmm. you know, these guashes or what, whatever it is that you're getting. Mm -hmm. So I, it's just such a fun place. It is. And they're, they're super involved in the community. So I really, I love supporting a business that supports the community they, they serve. Mm -hmm. and, you know. Yeah. So uh, again, this episode is not brought to you by Jerry's Artorama in East Nashville. <laughs> We're fortunate. To, I, mean, I can't wait to we, tag them on Instagram. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fun. They'll get a kick out of it too. Do we also know? mention Plaza? So yeah, should we mention Plaza too, just to, to yeah. make it the highest bidder can be? Yeah, be our definitely. <laughs> this also was not brought to you by uh, Plaza Art Supply, across from Third Man Records, which definitely <laughs> isn't bringing you this episode. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so fun. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk just a, a, a bit about number. We're on the board of directors. We're in the, we're in this like. 2.0, I think you called it. So the thing that happened recently, which was really fun, that you and I started pre-pandemic pre and then figured out to do during the pandemic is these number of coffee conversations. And we'd started with, where did we start in, in Donaldson? What was the coffee place? Caliber Coffee. Caliber. Yeah. Also not a sponsor. No. Caliber's <laughs> currently not a sponsor of Drawing South podcast. So we started place for coffee, though. and we uh it was really fun and we learned a lot inside of that but one of the things i learned was to not try to do a live podcast in a on, coffee shop <laughs> on site at the coffee shop yeah but what we got from it was that it really did work people really did enjoy it people really did stop by jody hayes stopped by we bumped mm -hmm. into Virginia, who did we bump into? Um, some, oh, gosh. I've a couple artists came in that were just there getting coffee. They were just yeah. around and they're just like, there's Jody and Randy. And <laughs> and I'd only met them. I'd met them maybe once before. It was really interesting that it was just, it, yeah. it worked. Our idea of trying to get Number Magazine to put a face to it, of that it is artists in Nashville that are also a part of mm -hmm. this and break down this idea um, either break down the idea of what number was or build up the idea for people that never knew what number was. Exactly, yeah. And so the thing we did this past week was really great with with um, Turnip Green. So talk a little bit about your role in Turnip Green, why you're connected. I know why you're connected to Turnip Green, but mm -hmm. maybe even just tell people a little bit what about what Turnip Green is and then, and then who those artists were. Yeah, uh, Turnip Green, creative reuse. That says it all right there. They do projects and programs that keep things out of a landfill. Kelly Tipler started it oh, 10 or 11 years ago, I think, uh, somewhere around that time. And I've kind of been a part of Turn It Green. I try to be involved. I've been either donating things or I've, I've, I'd go in there and purchase things uh, because I like a lot of stuff. <laughs> and but their goal is to keep things out of landfills and they also do a lot of educational things where they they teach kids how to take some of these materials and make them into art they support artists art teachers for materials for their classrooms 
Um, and they, yeah, I could, I'm not a good spokesman for them when it comes to talking about it. other than I, I think they do great things with the community. They even have a, a section uh, of land that they're going to do a community garden in. So really involved in the community, keeping things out of landfills. And I was fortunate enough over the years just to stay involved. I've helped them each location they would go to. I'd help build out a gallery space. They have a, what they call the green gallery. And so when they moved into this latest location, uh, which isn't their forever home, we're looking for one now. Uh, but I had the materials donated from a friend of mine that has a construction business and he sent somebody in that, did the sheetrock mud so it was professionally done. And then of course me and Ken Walls and some other people built the walls out and created the gallery space. Uh, and then what a little over a year ago, me and Kelly got together and she invited me to be on the board. So I'm on the board of directors now. Uh, so I'm involved with the, the art gallery committee. Uh, I'm on the, uh, the committee to uh, to find us a new space. We're working to buy a location that we can build out the perfect space for Turnip Green so we can have classrooms, we can have studio spaces for artists, of course, plenty of places for our materials that we collect. And, uh, you know, just a community garden. You know, we got, we got big plans. The, the, the pitch for this is, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful community addition. We just got to find the right location at a, lo at a price that fits our budget. And uh, there's one more thing I was going to mention there about Turnip Green, um, and I've gone blank on that. But it's a pay what you can. That's what it was. So anybody that wants to go in there and buy materials, it could be anything from like Aaron Worley goes in there and buys his uh, vine charcoal for his, some of his sketches or other materials there's all kinds of artist materials in there that are gently used I guess you could say canvases that are already got paintings on them you can go in there and buy those canvases and gesso them and create your own and then there's um, like wood you know scrap wood furniture pieces and parts I know I donated a truckload of turntable legs a couple years ago because my garage was getting a little out of control and I felt like I had to let go of some things that I probably wouldn't get to for a while. So I let somebody else enjoy those. Um, so yeah, it's going there, find things that are cool, gently used. There's fabric, there's tiles. If you want to redo your bathroom and tile, you could probably find enough tile of one type to, to do a small bathroom, just things like that. So yeah, it's a cool little program. I think, when you talked about not being a good spokesperson for one, I think you did great about talking about it, but two, you're there in action, right? You're there doing stuff. You're there hang, helping Aaron hang his show. You're there building things. You're there at events. You're calling me and saying, Hey, let's, you know, yeah, invite, me to, <laughs> invite me to host your artist talk, which is good for me too, because it, it puts me in front of, you know, anytime I'm getting attached to your work, I'm excited to get attached to your work, even if I'm just the person interviewing about about your work for a remote or virtual opening. And so that's really, really cool. And so, you know, we had Aaron on and, and what I loved about that was, 
you know, you bringing that to me and saying, hey, can we do this? And then me saying, hey, let's use the educators cooperative platform because they've got the Zoom stuff down. Mm -hmm. So nice because they've got the professional one that can last as long as you want the meeting to last, but also they are connected loosely to Turnip Green. And I want to strengthen that connection. Right. Um, right now you can go in if you're a educators cooperative teacher, you can actually use my account because when I had my exhibit, any of the work that sold just went into an account that's just open to mm -hmm. teachers in the in the educators cooperative. And so That's they awesome. can they can get whatever they want and then they can just say, I want to pay this much and put it on that that tab. And so I just want to continue to strengthen that. So just the idea of <clears throat> you taking that time to say, hey, let's let's do a number of coffee conversations for these two artists at Turnip Green. Could we figure out a way to collaborate with Number Magazine and Turnip mm -hmm. Green? And that's where, you know, for me, Turnip Green is the model for Number Magazine. It's Leah. Yeah. You know, the conversation yeah. she had with you and or the conversation she had with me is she's like, I'm not screwing around here. Like as the, <laughs> you know, as the executive director with the board that I have of who, you know, like I want, we want to, we want to buy a place. We're not interested in living month to month anymore. Like we want to buy a place, create equity, and then be able to trade off of that equity to create more programs. She's like, you know, we're doing, you know, and a lot of people could take what Turnip Green's doing now and say, well, here's the success. We've, what, just in January alone, 20,000 pounds of mm -hmm. material has been diverted from a landfill. Exactly. You know, even during a pandemic. Yeah. They're still figuring out ways to do that. And a lot of people would say, well, that's the success. And what Leah's saying is, we're getting there, you know. To start, yeah. We'll, we'll start. And I, I would, my guess is she's thinking like, you know, in a 30-year plan, there's going to be more than one brick-and-mortar space in Nashville mm -hmm. so that it yeah. becomes sustainable so people don't have to drive from Westmead all the way to here or from Donaldson all the way to there or from East Nashville to here or from right. Antioch to there that she's like, hey, if we want to do what we do well, let's position ourselves like any other utility in that mm -hmm. we would have these spaces all over town and satellite yes. spaces or drop-off places. So I just mm -hmm. think that for me that <clears throat> I want to get as connected as possible to Turnip Green because it is for a nonprofit, it's a perfect example of someone yes. casting a vision that's way larger than what people tend to think can happen. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think people think, well, that's a cute little idea. And Leah's like, it is an integral idea to our city. It's not a cute <laughs> idea. It is right. integral to what we're up to. If we're going to say, we're going to use the word sustainable ever in our city, then you need us because we are an example of what, you know, what needs to happen. So, yeah. So that's pretty cool. But, but for me that, that evening, what we were able to do was we met Aaron and Chris mm -hmm. and then I was immediately, we were joking about it beforehand, but I was able to connect Aaron to Joe Nolan because mm -hmm. Joe Nolan does the art fight podcast. Um, yes. And who's definitely not art fight nice podcast is not a sponsor of my podcast. That would be weird. What are you and Brian thinking that they're sponsoring my podcast? Um, but Aaron's work is boxing pa paintings and boxing drawings. And so yeah. I texted Joe, like I took a photograph of my screen that's pixelated and I sent it to Joe Nolan and was like, Hey man, this dude's doing really cool work. And Joe yeah. was like, Sending my, you know, sending my email, 
address <laughs> and um, which was really fun was and it's exactly what we had hoped from the number magazine standpoint like what do we do we're advocating for artists living in the south mm-hmm. right That's and right. so here was an example yeah. of you being aware of what turnip green can do me being aware of what educators cooperative can do and then both of us being aware of what number magazine should be doing mm-hmm. and that turnip green and educators cooperative are pulling in the exact same direction of number and then we're so why not put all three of those things together because we're not competing for any resources at no. all the people <laughs> that are going to support number magazine are the kinds of people that want to go to turnip green mm-hmm. and the kinds of people that would that might if they are teachers join the educators cooperative but nothing's right, taken right. anything away and so that power of three is going to be greater than the power of two or one mm-hmm. but also in that conversation because it was an educators cooperative conversation we had two art teachers who <laughs> came who would not necessarily have come if it was just number or just turnip right. green maybe if it was turnip green but definitely like those one of those guys has been on all the edco calls so he comes on and now what he's interested in doing is showing both chris and aaron's work to kids in memphis Mm-hmm. that's so amazing yes and again that's from the number magazine standpoint it's like mm-hmm. what we want to do we want to advocate how do you advocate for artists how do you really advocate for artists well let's and young let's, artists let's raise young artists on this idea of like what Aaron's up to is cool and what Chris is up mm-hmm. to is cool and yeah. and so anyway I just think that that's been really fun and for me what's been fun in in relationship to you is and we go back to this idea of what is and isn't painting, there's this old idea of like, well, Turnip Green's doing this event. This is a Turnip Green event. Mm-hmm. So no, we don't want Educators Cooperative involved. And no, we don't want Number Magazine. We're, Turnip Green's doing this. Or <laughs> no, Number's doing this. Like, why would, if Number's doing it, why would we need art teachers on the, you know, or why do we need, and in talking with you, you're seeing that broader idea of like, hey, we're putting pigment on a surface. Let's call it painting. Yes, <laughs> it's totally it. It's that simple. <laughs> tell me what it. Tell me what it. And so, and and the idea of too of saying like, hey, we've got these nonprofits who are all pulling in the same direction. Let's let's have it all. You know, let's have it all smushed together mm-hmm. when it makes sense. And of course, there will be time and places when it needs to be a turnip green. You know, we don't need Number Magazine there and educators mm-hmm. cooperative there when it's the fundraising dinner for turnip green to like right. figure out how to make that now we yeah. should be there in support of it but we don't need to be there asking for money on the same evening that exactly. you all are but but we can be supportive of like directing towards like hey mm-hmm. everyone should be going to this event tonight yeah for turnip green because we value what they're up to and of course we want them to have a sustainable space to live because if they're sustaining if they have a sustained space, they're going to be helping teachers. And that's what we're up to, helping teachers. And number, like, yeah, we're up to helping artists. So we should all, I think it's just been a really interesting thing. And I've had the conversation with you, but a lot of other people too, is that both artists and nonprofits, there's a similarity in that for years, they've had this idea that there can't be bounty. Yeah. And so they are like, well, what can I do for Randy Purcell? What can I do for Mike Wendy? As opposed to us going, how can we help each other Right? How can I celebrate yeah. Randy's successes? How can I do these things so that, and, and also once he gets those, how can I really cheer for him and understand that that commission he got didn't steal something from me? 
Because mm -hmm. we've had this idea that there's these three commissions floating around and we're all competing for them. <laughs> and we're learning more and more that there's lots of money around. There's lots yeah. of things to do. And I think that that gets back to that idea of learning to take some of those business class skills, right, that Leah's doing with Turnip Green and going, hey, guys, there's a system for this. If we just if we just take the word nonprofit out and just pretend like we got to make rent, these other businesses they do this thing they do a newsletter they do a they do events they do this they have this board they do these kinds of things and so anyway I just think that that's a really interesting thing that you and I have kind of found ourselves in. Um, kind of back to your work, I'm curious. What have you learned with this new approach of making from the heart that you think will transcend when we get back into post-vaccine, shows start coming back online, you start getting emails going, Randy, we've re, we've, uh, you know, we, we've rescheduled this thing, we've rescheduled this. How is that, that friction of those things that you have to get done meet with this this new spot that I can tell you're really enjoying this, mm -hmm. because to me, I think one of the things about you say lost in the process and what I'm seeing is invention coming out of your studio, right? Like you're being more inventive than you've been in a while because for a while, the thing that you invented, this process that you've kind of found yourself doing that not lots of other people are doing has served you very well. It's gotten yep. you into art fields. It's gotten you into this project at uh, in um, with the beekeeper in the park in Nashville. What's oh yeah, you're talking about the bicentennial uh, park proposal. Yeah, yeah, yeah so we're working on that. So anyway, like it's that served you well, but it seems like one of the things that you're really relishing is this idea of like experimenting beyond that and not letting yourself get typecast as Randy does the encaustic painting process. Yeah. Like he, he paints with magazines and he does this cool thing. And that's what Randy does. And, and you're like, well, that's what Randy arrived at because Randy was also making sculpture and mm -hmm. at MTSU and he was doing this other stuff. And, and also you've had lots of jobs before you have this job as an artist. And so, mm -hmm. you know, lots of different people, your worldview is, um, has, is stretched. And so, and you've brought that to making art. Mm -hmm. So how's that going to meet this new, like, how are you going to put Randy making from the heart back in that box? Or okay. are you going to say, Hey, I'm I'm gonna do Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursdays, no matter what. I'm making from the heart, and then I'm gonna like I'm just curious about that. So I I think yeah, there's gonna be some changes. I think the biggest thing, Mike, will be the ability to say no to some things. Mm. You know, I, that's as an artist, you know, opportunities sometimes don't come along as fast as you want them to, but when they do come, it seems like they come ten at a time, and it's hard to say no because you're like, I'm worried I may not get another opportunity like this in six months. So I'm learning the, the things that excite me that I feel are worthwhile. Maybe it's for a cause. Maybe it's because it pushed my abilities a little bit further than I'm used to put me in that, you know, not so comfortable zone. Uh, 
it'll help me grow as an artist. I'll say yes to those things. And the things that are just the normal, hey, you want to do this show, blah, blah, blah. And it's something I've done a hundred times. I'm probably going to say no to those. You know, it's not that I don't appreciate the opportunities. It's just that I have to focus on the things I feel will push me into a better place. But as far as the, the actual work itself changing, I, I think it'll continue the change and the, the process of transferring ink on the beeswax is gonna find new solutions. There's gonna be things that may change in it, whether it be the subject matter, um, just my use of color and value, the way I compose things, that's gonna probably change a bit. Uh, because, you know, working with collage and sculpture and doing these things for fun, every time I do something in one of those, I'm like, oh, that would be cool over here in my painting process of transferring ink. Instead of doing this, maybe I use these shapes in this area instead of, you know, it's all these things are going through my head. And I sometimes I take notes. Sometimes it's just something that I remember. But, you know, I, yeah, I feel it'll change, but it's, it's more about the the decision to say yes or no to thing opportunities and then not not taking it so seriously i think that's one thing the, the pressure would be off if i'm doing the things that i feel from the heart or what i need to be doing i'm gonna sleep better at night you know yeah i'm gonna be excited to come in the studio those kind of things is, that's where it's going to change i think the idea of an eight hour day ahead of you the pretty physically demanding nature of how you're making work right now. Mm-hmm. So you get up and you're like, I've got, I've got eight hours of cutting these small things out, burnishing them, yeah. you know, the stress of it, if it's going to work because there, mm-hmm. you can get to spots where you're like, what is, what's going on? What, like, why yeah. isn't this, this happening the way it's supposed to? It's, um, that's a, different day if you're in love with what you're up to than man i'm making this portrait of this person who i'm actually just not that excited about yeah right or the person who asked me was not actually that nice about the way they were asking me you know and (laughs) or negotiated the pay in a way that made me feel uncomfortable or Mm -hmm. less than what i feel like i deserve and now i'm doing it because i need to and i think that that's that's such an important part of when you're putting eight hours of your life and in your case some of these paintings are taking 40 hours or 60 hours right and so and to not have a good feeling for much of that time (laughs) yes and then and then having to get rid of this thing that you then find yourself loving because of like man i love this thing I just hated how it had to kind of get made through all of these things and now I have to get rid of it for an amount that I'm not happy with like yeah all of that and you know Sisyphon in the episode or the conversation when I was talking with her since she read this book about like learning how to let fish go by you don't have to catch them all and uh-huh. how and, and how empowering that was because and you mentioned it too was mm-hmm. you were you're letting these things go by, but you're also using the leverage you have to then hopefully direct it towards an artist, Mm -hmm. right? Who, especially when it's just not a good fit. It's not like 
yeah. so much being mean or ugly. You're when that yeah. cat when that when you're saying no to them, you're just saying no. I'm sure you're not just passing yeah. them on to. <laughs> no, oh, I know who needs a headache. Nobody wants to work with them. <laughs> you know who needs a headache is Mike. Mike probably yeah, Mike. needs a headache. <laughs> must send you. You know, here's you should you should talk you should call him. But but it is and there is an interesting thing about saying no that allows someone else to get to say yes. Yeah. That is new to me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, t- I jokingly told her that, you know, I, I, I remember the saying the nose and I would have named the fish and, you know, I would mm-hmm. lament that I'd let this yeah. opportunity go by and this opportunity go by. And, this and now you can just say, no, that's not for me. And then just for, kind of forget about it. Um, yep. And then just start doing doing the other things what's your what's your dream project with this new idea or not new idea but this new feeling of in the studio like what's your dream project look mm-hmm. like is it a public artwork is it a collaborative artwork and t- do you want to talk about mystery art league oh yeah the mystery art leagues it's funny i try not to think too much about it until things get back to some kind of normal we can have events but yeah the mystery art league is an event i came up with it's funny it came up at a time right as the pandemic was happening and i thought man this has got i think this is something that would be pretty cool for people to experience and so i started talking to my circle of friends and came okay i guess i should say what it is first the mystery art league is an event you go to artists that are involved in this will create artwork that's related to this story. Uh, whether it's some kind of a, a murder mystery or it's a love story, whatever the case may be. I have a couple guys that would write these stories and myself and a couple other artists and the plan is that the, the artists would change with the story. So every event would be a different story and a different pool of artists. And I'm thinking three or four artists at each event. People would come and, and, I've, and I partnered up with a, a company called Video Bomb, who's not a sponsor at the moment of the uh, yeah. podcast. Um, but Video Bomb is a, is a, they've been around for gosh, since 2016 or 2017. It's an augmented reality app. So you can scan things with your phone on their app and video would play or you know the images would move it'd be a meme you know whatever the case may be you can do a lot of different things with it so I talked to Chad Markham who's their CEO and founder and he allowed to let me use it for the first event and so when you go into this thing you've already got an idea what the story is and the paintings and 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 every story has as a mystery you have to solve. That's the Mystery Art League. Um, the first one was this uh, Chinese story based off of the Purple Hairpin, which is an opera from 17th century, I think. It's, uh, but I had a friend, Tim Buchanan, he basically rewrote the story, shortened it quite a bit and changed a few things just to make it fit what we was wanting to do. And we sent the the people that signed up for the event were sent an email that had the story in it. They would read it and the clues are in the, the story. Some of the clues. 
And when you got to the event, the paintings also had riddles beside each painting. And people would read the riddle and the answer to the riddle would put them in a certain space in a painting that they would scan with the augmented reality app video bomb. And then a video would play that gave them either a riddle or a video that led them to another clue. And at the end of the night, those clues would spell out a word or uh, name an object or, or whatever the case may be. Each one will change. And the first person to solve the mystery, per se, would win a prize. And then instead of saying, oh, it's over, we got we had somebody solved it, we had a second and third place set up. So the prize pack wasn't just for the first one. It was for other people that finished in a certain number. So, yeah, I just I did a test run in, a, in an environment that we controlled. So we, we limited the audience to 15 and let people come and test it out. And it was a big hit. I mean, we had a blast. And this was the week before we were supposed to have the big event, which got canceled because of COVID. Right. <laughs> and it was going to be at Two Rivers Mansion, which the space was perfect for it. It's big. It's, you know, it's plenty of space. It's spread out. We had food, drinks ready to be catered. I had sponsors. And then we had to call it all off at the, you know, a week out, which, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. At least know now that we've tested it, it worked out. And as soon as things get back to some kind of normal, we're going to do it. And we'll probably make a few little changes just because, you know, after doing the test run, there were a couple things that weren't perfect. It wasn't like a game stopper. I don't think it, it would it didn't ruin anybody's evening by no means, but right. just things I felt could have flowed a little bit better. Sure. So yeah, we'll, we'll revisit that. Um, hopefully later this year, if not, I'll shoot for the spring of 22. Um, just make sure I have a great location. And, and now that, like I said, I've done the test run, I'll approach my same sponsors I had before. And then I'll also reach out to some others. And, and I'm, the, the biggest problem I'll have is making this affordable right event that people can go to <clears throat> and also want to i got to make sure the artists get paid i don't i don't want to be one of those things where right oh you'll get tons of exposure all these people are going to come and see your artwork and scan it and you could probably sell something now i want them to make at least a, a certain amount of money just for being a part of it and sure. then if you sell a painting of course maybe a small percentage of that goes to the nonprofit that we're supporting sure um, or, you know, it helps fund something, right. but yeah, we want to keep the cost down and, and maybe that means we do more of them. Right. Uh, cause if, if, if an artist is going through the trouble of doing five paintings for an event and it doesn't have to be five, maybe it's three that if those paintings are used in, and they're getting a cut of the door or whatever the case may be, the more we do it, of course, the more money each individual can make, everybody's going to be paid. Well, I feel like if we really are going to experience what some people suggest, which is a roaring 20s in Nashville, you know, so the roaring 20s happened after the Spanish flu. We find ourselves after another pandemic right in the middle of, you know, the beginning of the, the, the 20s. And so mm -hmm. that kind of event seems like the appetite for it for people yeah. would just be voracious that they would say, what 
Like I can do art. I can look at work, artwork. I can have this experience. I can have this murder mystery experience. I can have really good food and I can have, you know, inside of this, a social, a social evening where I'm talking about like, this seems mm -hmm. like it seems right up yeah. a lot of people's alley that, that's going to be diff so different from what every, what you can just kind of go back to. So it's like, I get to go back out into the world. I feel like I've been cooped up and I get to go experience something that feels like a lot of the things that I love that I missed and this brand new idea as well. So mm -hmm. it, it does seem to be, um, you know, when I talked to you about this before, I'm like, Randy, this, this might this side gig might become your gig. Like I, I said, my, my only worry is, is, is that it's going to just, it's just going to take over your life. Cause I, I do think that it is the kind of idea that's going to be really successful because people are going to, I could see, I could see this happening in, you know, Charlotte and Austin yeah. and Houston. And like, it's not like, Oh, that works in Nashville. You do this mystery league and it doesn't work in any other place. It's like, I think people would love it. I think corporate, you know, corporate uh, event kind of things where they want to do team building. It's like, oh, we could have, what if we did this? And you're like, okay, we're flying to, yeah. up, you know, Washington State because there's this mansion there and we started coordinating and they've given us this budget to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And like, all right, this is great. So, yes. but you said, well, that's why I'm working with lots of other people, right? Like, I don't have to do all the, the heavy lifting. So is that the dream project or is there a dream project even outside of that? Is that something that oh. you that's 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 one of those side gigs what i would hope with the mystery art league to happen is it does get some legs and i would love to have it where it's there's somebody with a better business mind that runs it right i mean it's my concept i'm part of it maybe it's you know it turns into this nonprofit that helps raise money for other nonprofits i don't sure. know um, but i want yeah i want somebody as the, the board of directors that 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 gets the gigs that promotes it does the social media push and then i'm just one of the artists and one of the guys that gives feedback on what my vision is and i bet that's going to happen you're going to host those events and then the third one somebody's going to walk up to you and go hey can we have coffee i have an idea <laughs> and you go sure and, and you meet them yeah. and she says listen if you did this 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 and this like we can take this show on the road yeah. and you can say what are you up to? And she's like, exactly. well, I'm, I'm, I hope that I'm up to this, you know, and you're like, well, you are, there and, you, go. you know, and that she's just, you know, the right person. I mean, it seems like you would, it doesn't seem crazy that you could find that talent in Nashville mm -hmm. that would position someone who's looking to do the part that you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And she's yeah. looking to, she's looking to do the part. And she's good at it. That yes. You're not. And she's like, man, I've been waiting for this kind of like creative opportunity, but then also to put these business skills and my marketing skills together and my hospitality skills. Cause I trained to do this. I have my right. master's in hospitality from the university of Memphis or wherever it is, you know, it seems like you're going to find that person that can right. take right. that idea. So That's separate it. from that, going back to just like making art from the heart, like what's your dream project of, somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I want you to do this. Or mm -hmm. what does that look like? It's a, it's a huge mural in my process. And I've gotcha. got, you know, I, I did the six foot clown for art fields and it, it, that was a, it was, it's kind of like how it all started for me. You know, I started out doing those little four part hearts 
And then I thought, if I can do four pieces of paper to make a heart, why can't I do a thousand pieces to make a building? And I thought, well, if I want to do a huge portrait of a clown smoking a cigar and drinking whiskey, well, I could do this 20 foot long mural. I just do it in, in a grid format uh, and take it one bite at a time, just like I do one piece of paper at a time. Right. So yeah, I want to do a large public art piece that hangs course indoors. That is my process. And I want it to be almost a, an abstracted type of landscape, maybe a, a location that if it's Nashville themed, whatever, I don't want to say I want to do the skyline of Nashville, but something location based. If I go to another city out West somewhere, I want it to, to, maybe it's an airport, you know, and talking to Sisov on public art pieces, I think is, is, a, is one of my biggest goals right now. Gotcha. I've been fortunate. I've got the, uh, the bicycle rack design. So that's, that's one public art piece. I did a community mural project uh, that's on the side of party foul in Donaldson. And I'm working with Bicentennial park to do a sculpture piece with their beehives. And, you know, I, I think once, once you get three public art pieces, then it's a little easier to submit and, and be taken seriously as a, as a public art artist. Mm -hmm. So yeah, hopefully that'll happen within the next couple of years. I'll at least, find an opportunity that I can push my my ideas I would love to see your work in a library because it's so counter to what librarians would want to have happen they're like absolutely not cutting <laughs> up our periodicals <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> <laughs> those are books how yeah. dare you <laughs> oh that no one great. asked us if this could happen no one <laughs> asked us <laughs> Oh, funny. We hate this piece. It's terrible. <laughs> I'd have to make sure the subject fit their needs, right? <laughs> yeah. My friend Harold down in, in Florida, who's a, a librarian, would just be like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> Can't encourage that. <laughs> you, want, you want me to encourage the cutting up of information on paper in my library. Actually, Harold would probably love it. He'd be like, this is great. Like, now yeah. I know what to do with all these old magazines. Um, there you go. Yeah, I'm surprised to this day about magazines and the different inks. I mean, that's another thing I get asked a lot is about what magazines do I work? And it's funny as I'll say, well, I use these certain few because they have the best content. And I've tried these others and they didn't work for me. Well, like natural, uh, National Geographic has never worked for me. And I had a friend, I'm actually doing a, a, a I want to do a Zoom class for some high school students for a teacher friend of mine next week and he he said i'm going to try your process he said i want to have my students do this like 16 by 20 piece and have you instruct them through zoom and i'm like uh you better slow down there let's start small because i don't want them to be overwhelmed with the process do 16 so he, centimeters by 16 centimeters <laughs> exactly well he he tried the process he got back with me a couple of days later and he goes okay i see what you mean by starting small now he did a couple of small blocks yeah and, but he did, he killed it. And I was like, what magazines did you use? He says, oh, I used a uh, Nat Geo. And then the wax he used wasn't pure beeswax. So he, he totally went against all my rules, but he made it work just by following my steps. Right. And I'm like, how did you get Nat Geo to work? I've never got that to work in my process. Right. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's always these unknowns. And I think that's just 
some of the fun is trying new things. And, and I've had bad luck with old magazines. Mm-hmm. And here you've picked something up from the 80s or whatever that transferred fine. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Well, and I, I'm wondering too if that if that comes down to again what you talked about that you've found yourself doing a little differently is this expectation, right? Like you you've got an expectation when you're making it about what you want the color to look like. And I did not That's true. I just wanted to transfer that image yeah. into and it may be lost for you looking at the magazine versus where it ended up, you would have been like, no, that's too much color loss. I can't, that drives yeah. me crazy. Whereas I was just like, it worked, right? Like, <laughs> and I think that some of that comes down to, I bet there's a similarity in the way a darkroom photography pro would see a print versus the way I see a print. Could you know, you're that. wanting a specific color and you're going, man, you, you lost three three grades of value in that blue yeah and i'm like it looks awesome and a dark room person's <laughs> going like hey you need to dodge and burn this and you need to do this and you need to do this and i'm just like but i can see that's my grandpa i'm yeah. good and they're like no there's not enough variation from you know yeah. light to dark and so I, I think that there could be some of that where yeah. you're just for you personally whereas like the the, the nat geo hasn't past your muster of what you would expect from it but the there also could be that weird whatever that whatever he used there might be a chemical in there that just keyed up the color and made it work exactly yes there's so that's, there's, that's, there's still be unknowns about the process because there's so many steps involved one little difference sure. to change everything yeah and i've i've learned that over the years well randy man thanks for taking the time i think with our pickup of it stopping and now we're going to be over an hour which i think is great but i don't want to push it too long i also don't want to take you away from whatever you were up to in your studio and hopefully this is the first of many conversations that we'll have over the years that we'll record for for folks to listen to so anything you want to leave with folks like where can people follow you online on social media and your website it's at randy l purcell and that's through all YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Got to have the middle initial L because there okay. was a famous trombone player named Randy Purcell that took randypurcell.com and I started using my middle initial to make myself stand out. <laughs> Unfortunately, awesome. he's passed now, but. All right. So Randy a- L Purcell, and that's across all, all platforms. That'll get you on Instagram, Twitter. Facebook, YouTube, all of those different things. Well, man, hope you have a great weekend. I really appreciate the time. I'm so grateful that we share an artistic community and and that we're in this together. So um, appreciate you, man. Thank you, Mike. We'll see you soon. Take care, buddy.